0: He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down out of the heaven from God. And he who was seated on the crown said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. As you are able, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading is from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus this is the gospel of the lord
1: Praise so if you caught from the reading today and even if you looked at the date today you might understand what's going on this morning we are celebrating christmas It is actually the half-birthday of Jesus. So if you do the half-birthday thing in your home, uh, today's it, June 25th. So we have six months till Christmas, so you better get your shopping done. Um, If you need any uh, suggestions for me, I have some for you after worship. No, I'm just kidding about that. But when we think about Christmas and all that happens at Christmas, when we surround Christmas with all the traditions and all of the emotions and all of that stuff, it's easy for us to lose sight of what's actually happening. It's actually easy for us to get lost and all of those things that we have to do to have the perfect Christmas that we miss what the Bible is trying to teach us. And so today we're outside of all of that. We're, we're free of the traditions of Christmas. We're, we're six months removed from the actual day. And so we can actually investigate what the scriptures tell us. And we can dig into them. And it's important for us to do that. Because as we do, what we realize is that God causes these details to be written so that we will know what he does. And so that we will know ultimately who he is. God causes the scriptures to be written so that you and I know Jesus. Now, as we think about that and we we think about the passages that surround Christmas, we have Matthew chapter one today. Matthew 1, 18 to 25, this account of the birth of Jesus. And in Matthew, the entirety of Matthew, as we're going through this summer, in Matthew, you see over and over again, this happened because of what the prophet said. This happened to fulfill what the prophet said as the prophet had spoken. So Matthew is always relating us back to the Old Testament. To remind us that God has a plan he's also doing this so that we know to go back to these words of the Old Testament to see what God is doing now as you have that in your mind I I want I want you to sort of step aside for a second and let's let's talk about how we get there And, and I want you to remember this context is king Context is everything when you're trying to understand a specific word, not just the Bible. This is true in our lives every single day. Context is king. So you can take one simple phrase and it can mean one thing in one context and it can mean a completely different thing in another context. Here's a phrase to start with. Mom's coming. All right. Mom's coming. Now, I'm going to speak to all of you who, like like me, were mischievous children Right? I, I always did all kinds of stuff. Mostly my siblings duped me into doing stuff that I knew wasn't exactly right, but I would do it anyway because they were telling me to and I was the youngest of four and so I always did what they told me to do. And I'd get myself into situations and then I'd be in the middle of this, whatever it might be, and they would go, mom's coming. Right? Okay. Evidently, I'm the only mischievous child in the room because for me, that absolutely struck fear into my heart. Mom's coming meant I needed to like, hide whatever it was that I was doing that I wasn't supposed to be doing then probably hide myself or just stand up and be like, hey, mom, good to see you, right? I can hide everything behind me. She doesn't see anything. But of course, mom sees everything. That's one way to understand mom is coming. Now, same phrase, different context. I'm guessing some of you remember the first time that your parents left you home alone. You were in your house all by yourself. I don't know how old you were, maybe 12, 13 years old, something like that. Mom ran out to the grocery store, maybe had siblings, maybe not. And when you're alone in the house for the first time, the house makes all kinds of scary sounds. And not only that, it seems like the light switch won't work. And you know, there's probably danger lurking around every corner. And I know that I saw a car drive really slowly past the house and I just know that bad things are going to happen and your blood pressure starts to mount and you get more and more and more nervous until you hear the car coming forward or you hear the garage door, or you hear the driveway, you hear whatever it is, and you know mom's coming. And when mom's coming, a scared and lonely child is immediately comforted. <coughs> Same phrase, two different contexts two different meanings mom's coming strikes heart strikes fear in the heart of the little boy who's down in the basement spray painting his matchboxes <laughs> mom's coming brings comfort to the little boy who's afraid because mom's gone for the first time context is king god is coming What's the context? What does that strike in your heart? God is coming. Well, as Matthew speaks of this in his gospel, he references the prophet Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 7. And it's a time when the prophet Isaiah is going to the king of Judah, the king of God's people. And as he's going to the king of God's people, King Ahaz, this king, has gone astray. He's profligate. He's gone and done his own thing. He's a wicked king. We're writing about 730 BC. And the prophet Isaiah is sent to the king of Judah, King Ahaz, to correct him, to correct his ways. And what's happened is that Ahaz has allied himself with a foreign king. All right, so understand the political situation of the day. David has long since been dead. The kingdom of Israel, God's people have split into two. You have the kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south. And as God's people have split in two, other nations are looking at this and saying, hey, now's our time to take over. The big kid on the block is a guy named Tiglath-Pileser. I know you're excited about this. Tiglath-Pileser, you can win friends and influence people by talking about Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria from 730 B.C. They'll be really impressed, just as impressed as you are with me right now. But listen, Tiglath-Pileser is the big kid on the block. He has designs on taking over this whole region of Israel and Judah. The king of Judah is rightfully afraid because he knows that they can't defend this kingdom. And so instead of doing what he is supposed to do and seeking the will of the Lord, because he is, after all, the king under the great king God, instead of doing what he's supposed to do and seek God's wisdom and God's counsel and to do whatever God tells him to do, he decides to do his own thing. Now, what would God have told him to do? Likely, God would have told him, the king of Judah, to ally with Israel, with whom he could have formed a united kingdom, and not only that, but to include Aram, which is the region immediately above, to unite all of the people of God against this one king that would have given them a chance. And not only that, it would have been something that was uniting for the people of God rather than dividing. But instead, what King Ahaz decided to do was to turn his back on Israel and Aram and to go and find the bully and to surrender himself there. And that's exactly what Ahaz did. He gave himself over to Tiglath-Pileser, gave the kingdom of Judah as a vassal state, which means that they were willing to surrender all of their rights, all of their authority, all of the things that were rightfully theirs in order to be protected by Tiglath-Pileser, protected by his kingdom. Well, this displeased the Lord. And so God sent Isaiah. Isaiah goes to Ahaz to confront him in this, to say to him, why would you do such a thing? Why wouldn't you instead fear the Lord? Why wouldn't you do what God is telling you to do? Why wouldn't you ally the kingdom? Why wouldn't you align everything together? Why wouldn't you seek God in this? What do you think you possess that God doesn't? What wisdom do you have? And to prove that God is serious about this, Isaiah takes away the only remaining resistance that Ahaz can have. You see, the reason why we fear when mom is coming, when we're doing something bad, is because hearts that are calloused and hearts that are mired in sin fear a judge who is coming. But hearts that are numb because of their sin have no fear of a judge that they cannot see. Or let me say it more clearly in this case. Hearts that are calloused and numb by sin, have no fear of a God they cannot see. And so Isaiah comes and says, you're going to see God. He starts with this. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it be in the highest heights or the deepest depths. Ask the Lord for any sign. Ask the Lord to show you that he is real. Ask the Lord to show you that this is his kingdom. He gives this this uh, challenge to Ahaz. And Ahaz, instead of saying, okay, now I understand that God's real. I understand that you're the man of God. Instead of doing that, Ahaz goes, no, I couldn't possibly. No, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly challenge the Lord or put him to the test. Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. But Isaiah sees through this facade. Isaiah understands that Ahaz is just putting up a front. Because Ahaz has already done his own thing, remember? And he doesn't want to know that God is real. Instead, he wants to keep God at arm's length because calloused and fearful hearts, those numbed by sin, do not fear a God they cannot see. And so Isaiah says this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall be with child, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, Ahaz, I'm calling your bluff. God's coming. Ahaz is the mischievous child who's just been sought out by the parent. God is coming. And it's fearful for Ahaz, not only his presence, but then the prophet Isaiah continues. He goes even a step further and says to him, not only is God coming, but this is gonna be the sign to you. All of your plans, the plans of your kingdom, they're all gonna fail. Everything that you thought you had planned against is all going to come down on your head and on the heads of your people. He tells him, your plot is done. The problem with that for Ahaz is that he has no way out. So so now brothers and sisters think about this context think about these words which we read every christmas and you start to realize that we are far from far from where we typically are on christmas eve Instead, we are in a place of fear. We are in a place of calloused hearts that are numb because they want God to stay far off. We're in a place of calloused hearts that are pushing and hoping that God isn't real and of a God who's saying, I'm going to come among you as judge. So Merry Christmas. Hope you guys all enjoy the cookies and the tree. Context makes all the difference. This is the context of Isaiah chapter 7. So why does Matthew relate this to Jesus? And why aren't we more afraid at Christmas? After all, sin is still a problem. In fact, Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem affects everything. It affects every part of who we are. We do things we don't do and we do things that we ought not to do. Instead of doing the will of God, we do our own will. It affects us and it affects our relationship with our God. Sin plagues us. God's coming. So did any, did any of you ever have an adult growing up who would play the card with Jesus? What if Jesus were sitting right here right now? Did, it, did any of you have an adult who said, what if Jesus were to see you doing that? Right? You probably had a parent say that to you at some point, and the idea was that it was supposed to strike fear in your heart, Right? Should you be proud of what you're doing right now? I'll just add the young man and then it's my life. (laughs) It was to try to get us to change our behavior. Because fear is struck when the judge is coming. The judge might see what we're doing. And so, how do we react? We react by, by trying to push God away, we react by trying to hide. We react in fear. We react in the hopes that God will stay far off because callous and numbed hearts do not fear a God that they cannot see. But God is coming. And we can't hide. And he sees all. And it's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember our sin and sinfulness. In part, so that we can relate to somebody like Ahaz, so we can relate to what's happening here in Isaiah, but also so that we can understand and remember what God is doing, also so that we can understand and remember who God is, because the Lord is coming. He is coming in the midst of our sin and sinfulness. He is coming into a world which is dark because of the effects of sin. He is coming into the midst of the brokenness, and so we ought to fear. Christmas ought to be a time of trembling for us, and yet it's not. It's not at all. Why? Because God did not come to condemn. And God did not come to punish. Instead, He came to save. He came to show who He was a God who is merciful and gracious abounding in love, steadfast love for his people, for his people who are profligate, who go their own way, who do wicked things, who follow after the sinful ways of the world. He came into our midst for us so he might demonstrate something different. And he came in a way that demonstrated peacefulness and meekness. He came to be born of a baby. And not just any baby, but a baby born to a scared father who knew that the baby wasn't his, born to a mother who needed angelic messengers to convince her of what God was doing. He came to be born in a little town that was under the reign of a foreign king. He came to be born into the midst of our darkness, subjected to the ways of the world. He came to endure all that we would endure in this life. And yet to do it perfectly, that's why God is coming. That's the context of it. The context is much less the mischievous child who needs to be terrified of the parent and much more the lonely and scared kids who aren't sure what those noises are in the back room. The ones who recognize our own sinfulness. The ones who recognize our own dependence. Context is everything, brothers and sisters. And God is coming. He's coming to be your Savior. He's coming in mercy and forgiveness. He's coming to show you who He is and what He wants with you. He is coming because He loves you. So there is no need to fear Christmas. In fact, we might say it this way, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That God has sent his son Jesus into the midst of our darkness and sin. To the midst of our fearfulness and loneliness. To show us who he is. A God who is merciful and loving. A God who forgives. And That's the good news of Jesus that Matthew tells us about. For the glory of Jesus our Savior. Amen.